Over the years, I've seen that what I call book learning oftentimes is sometimes overrated. I'm not saying anything that you shouldn't learn anything from books, but oftentimes what you learn from books is good, but much better what you learn from experience. Experience. Now, when I uh, joined the United States Air Force many years ago, they assigned me as a cook. I was a cook in the United States Air Force, and you're saying, wow, that doesn't sound very interesting. It was a wonderful job. This is a great job. I was in a program called OJT. That sounds really official, but what it is is on-the-job training. <laughs> That's how they showed you how to cook, on-the-job training. Now, you can read all you want about how to make mashed potatoes. <laughs> you can read all kinds of books about how to ma- read mashed potatoes. But when you make mashed potatoes for a thousand hungry men... Uh, you really have a deep learning experience of what to do and what not to do. Things can go sideways really quick. Before I came on staff here, I was in Bible school and seminary, and I learned lots of neat things uh, in seminary. The learning experience happened, however, when I became pastor here in 1987. Then I really began to learn about ministry. Book experience is good, but oftentimes, oftentimes, that learning that comes from actually doing is much more practical. Uh, The reason I'm kind of starting this way this morning is uh, I want to share with you some things that I've learned over the 27 years that I've served as pastor here. Um, uh, Towards the end of February, I'll be... uh, changing my job description. I'll still be here as pastoring, but I'll be pastor emeritus. So I thought it'd be appropriate the last uh, Sunday of uh, the year that we kind of look back. Now, um, there I've come across seven things. Now, there's probably a lot more I've learned. I hope I've learned a lot more than seven things. But I thought these might have some impact on you. They might be helpful for you. And so I picked out seven things, and I want to share with them this morning. Um, I'm hoping that they're helpful for you. We're going to move really quickly. There's seven things, 14 scriptures, uh, so we'll move really quickly. And I'm hoping to share some personal experiences of things that we have gone through together. Some of you have been with me all that time. Some of you have not, uh, that we might be helpful. So uh, let's take a look. Here's your outlines found in your bulletin. And uh, the first lesson that I, uh, that, now, there was other things, but these are the things the Lord impressed upon me. And I've designed the outline like this, the work of God, and then, however. The work of God doesn't depend on man. However, God uses people who are faithful. The work of God doesn't depend on man, but he uses people who are faithful Uh, Now, the scriptures don't look for in-depth exegesis on these, but these are kind of points. The scriptures uh, that were brought to mind is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power works within us. God can do exceedingly abundantly anything he wants. He's uh, sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing. He can do whatever he wants, without any of our help. 
However, he uses people who are faithful. Scripture that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God. Paul is pointing out very directly that he realizes that everything good that has happened in his life has come about by grace, God's unmerited favor in his life. Yet at the same time, he says, when that grace came to me, it wasn't in vain. I responded. I responded to God's grace, and I labored even more than them. But then he ends his verse. Do you see how he ends the verse? He says, yet not I. But even in my laboring, that came because of grace. The work of God doesn't depend on men, but God uses those who are faithful. I remember our old uh, dear Pastor Chuck, who's passed away just this past year. Pastor Chuck was always fond of saying, if he wasn't available to minister to those young people and the hippies that were crowding Southern California in the late 60s and early 70s, if he wasn't going to minister, God was going, would use someone else. God would use someone else. Because God was on the move. God was on the move. He was going to revive those people. He was going to bring about the Jesus uh, revival. Whether Chuck was there or not, he would choose someone else. And the train was leaving the station, and Chuck got on the train. God doesn't need us, but he does use people who are faithful. Now, as I look at our little fellowship here, uh, the song that we used to sing at seminary, to God be the glory, great things he has done. Um, back in 1977, our little church lost its founding pastor, and it was a struggling church. It shrunk down to 25 angry, disturbed people, and Pastor Jimmy came along and took it, and then I came along in 1987, and to God be the glory, look what he has done. He doesn't need us, but he uses people who are faithful, like you, like me, in what he did over the years that we've been here. Faithful people. Faithful people. And God uses us. Okay. Second thing that comes to mind, the work of God often calls the foolish. However, God gives people, gifts people for ministry. God often calls the foolish. However, he gifts us for ministry. First scripture that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians 1.27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Oftentimes the things that look foolish, God uses. The world looks at them as foolish and weak, but God will use those people and those things. Uh, If you take a look at many of the Calvary Chapel pastors, those fellows that are on the radio and have grown huge churches, many of them had rather checkered pasts. (laughs) Uh, uh, The world look at them and say, well, those can't use those people, but God does use those people. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 and 12. It says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up 
of the body of Christ. Why does Christ, why does God do this? Why does God choose the foolish? Why does God choose the weak? So that no one will boast. No one can boast. Because God will choose the weak things. The foolish things in the eyes of the world. Probably one of the classic examples I can think of is a man called Haddon Robinson. Haddon Robinson. Uh, probably many of you don't know him, but uh, many of us do. He is, the most, he is one of the most powerful preachers you'd ever see. But if you'd look at him at, you'd look at him at the exterior, he's a rather small man, and he's not very good-looking. As a matter of fact, you would say he's very ugly. Haddon Robinson is one of the ugliest men I've ever seen. But when he begins to preach, his countenance just changes, and you can hear the voice of God. Now, if someone just looked at him and said, well, let's choose him for our special speaker, you'd say, you're nuts. Why choose that man? He looks rather weak. Matter of fact, he's ugly. God chooses those people and he uses those people. Now, going back to what we were talking about just a few minutes ago, When this church started, it lost its senior pastor and things were rather dark and dreary. And Pastor Paul Smith, who's Chuck's brother, was the interim pastor of this particular church in between losing uh, our first pastor when Jimmy came along. And when Jim Davis came along in 1977, uh, Pastor Paul told him, you know, Jim, uh, you probably don't want a candidate for that church. There's too many problem people. Too many problems, too many difficulties. Don't bother, let the church die. But Jimmy had a heart for wanting to reach people for Christ and begin to build a church, and he took that church. And this church, uh, folks, didn't have a very good reputation in Mission Viejo. We were meeting illegally in a little building on Fabricante. And the previous pastor had had a moral failure. So when Pastor Jimmy came along and said he was the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Saddleback Valley, everybody went, oh. But God, God chose what, what was just a small, struggling little church. And now he's built a wonderful church that reaches Many, many people across the world with many, many missionaries has a Persian fellowship that is reaching Muslims for Christ, has an incredible youth ministry, a wonderful worship. How did God do that? I'll tell you why, because he chooses the small and the weak so no one can boast. And to God be the glory, amen? To God be the glory. Great things he has done. God often calls the weak and the foolish, but he gifts people for ministry. Third lesson. The work of God is different from the ways of man. However, God can direct his thoughts. The work of God is different than the ways of man. However, God can direct his thoughts. In Matthew chapter 16, we're all familiar with this passage. This is where Peter began to address Christ and saying, well, that's not going to happen to you. You can't. I won't. That's, that can't be of God. And, and Jesus told, told Peter in Matthew 16, 23, he turned to him and said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're stumbling block for me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Now, Peter's heart was right, but he was dead wrong. Dead wrong. Dead wrong. The work of God is different from the ways of man. 
Now, look at Paul's reaction. Now, Paul, on his second missionary journey, is traveling through the area of Asia. And Luke writes of him in Acts 16, 6 through 10, he says, and they, that is Paul's uh, team, passed through Phygeria and Galatia region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of, in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came to Troas. And in a vision to Paul at night, a man from Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they tried to go to Asia, and the Spirit said no. Now, was it a bad thought to go to Asia? No, no, no. It's a good thought to go to Asia, but the Spirit of God didn't want them. They came out. They tried to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of God says no. Why? He wanted Paul to go to Europe. He wanted Paul to go to Macedonia. That's where the gospel, he wanted him to go. And so oftentimes, we have good ideas, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's of God. You might have a good thought. We ought to try this. Not necessarily. It might from, be from your heart. Some would say, well, look at the way businesses work. Well, businesses work one way. That, that doesn't necessarily mean that you apply it to everything in the church. Why do I say that? Isaiah 55, 8 says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Paul, however, shows He tries, but then he listens to the Spirit of God. Just because we have a good idea, just because the world does things one way, doesn't necessarily mean that applies to the church. About 11 years ago, we we owned a little building over on Geronimo and Alicia, and the church had grown so big that we couldn't do ministry in that building, so we subleased a building next to us. A business had gone out, and they allowed us to sublease their building. And we filled that building. We rented it a few portions here and there to some businesses. But we filled that building with our Sunday school and our youth program and our offices. But then we found out that the sublease was ending. And we could not fit everything that we expanded into that building back into the original 12,000-square-foot building. Ah, the board began to think, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We knew the landlord was going to raise the rent. We knew that because he saw what was going on. He was going to raise the rent and we were trying to figure, well, we'll expand the building. We'll do this. We'll do that. And then one day I got a call from Pastor Mike Hutchkins at uh, Oliso Viejo Vineyard. And he said, Pastor Neil, I remember in this prayer meeting you were talking about having trouble. You know, you're going to lose your lease on your second building. He says, would you like to buy my building? That's this building here. I said, why? He says, well, we're merging the Mission Viejo Vineyard and the Liceo Viejo Vineyard into one church, and we need a bigger building, and I want to sell you my building so I can take the money and buy a bigger building in Liceo Viejo. I said, oh, that's a great idea. Then I turned to Pastor Kevin, my good friend, who was meeting at Tribeca Hills High School with Crossroads Community. I said, Kevin, would you like to buy our old building? He said, yes, I'd love to buy your building. So my limited thinking and what we were trying to, and the board was trying to figure out, what are we going to do with this lease and how are we going to work it out? God had a much bigger plan and a lot better plan because three churches now had larger facilities and better facilities. You see, God's plan is always bigger exceedingly 
And sometimes when we try to figure it out, we try to figure it out and do it our way, we're fighting against God. We need to listen to the Spirit of God. That, this building came about as a result of a prayer meeting as I prayed for Pastor Mike and Pastor Mike prayed for me. And then I had a friendship with Kevin and God did a wonderful thing and gave three churches bigger facilities to meet their need. You see, God's work is different from the ways of man. However, he can direct our thoughts if we're careful to listen to him. Okay. Fourth little lesson I've learned over the years. The work of God often brings pain and suffering. However, God gives grace when needed. The work of God often brings suffering and pain. And God gives grace when needed. Now in Acts chapter 9, the passage, this is the passage where Ananias is going to Paul just after he's been saved. And the Lord says to Ananias about Paul, he says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That was at the beginning of his ministry. He's gonna, there's going to be a lot of suffering going on. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, this is when Paul was struggling with his uh, thorn in the flesh. This is what he said. He said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in me. Work of God often brings pain and suffering. However, God gives grace when needed. Now, I oftentimes struggle with the idea that somehow faith will insulate you from the troubles that come in life. I don't believe that. I don't believe in the prosperity, health and wealth doctrines that is taught in some churches. I don't believe it. You know why I don't believe it? Because it's not taught in the Bible. (laughs) It's not taught in the Bible. It's not true. And also, the second thing is, as an experience, as I've experienced as a pastor, what I've seen is oftentimes when pain and suffering comes into a person's life and they appropriate the grace that God gives them within that pain and suffering, it, it results in a mature, stable, Christ-honoring person. Now, I'm, I'm kind of a people watcher. Sometimes, very few times, I'll go shopping with my wife. And in the mall, she'll go into the shop and I'll say, I'll, I'll sit outside in the bench. And I like to sit outside in the bench in the mall and just watch people go by. And I think, I wonder what that, I wonder what they're doing. Uh, that's, gee, that's a funny looking guy with that girl. Right? You know, just kind of just daydreaming as they walk by. But you know what else? I've been watching you guys. I keep my eye on you. And I've seen some of you. Some of you have gone through tremendous difficulties and stress, and strain. And when you appropriate the grace of God, I've seen in all of you, many of you, as the grace of God comes into your life and you appropriate it, and you don't ask immediately for a resolution of your problem, I've seen it births in you people that are mature, and stable, and able to be trusted with ministry. 
Because pain and suffering comes in life. Now, oftentimes, I've seen other couples, however, who have had pain and suffering and uh, they, don't, they receive the grace of God in vain. They don't respond to it. And you know what happens? They become angry and bitter because of the unfairness of life. And life is unfair sometimes. Doesn't it seem unfair? Yes. Why is this happening to me? I'll tell you why. Because the grace of God is here to help you, to strengthen you. To make you a person who honors Christ, not only with word, but with deed. God often, work of God often brings pain and suffering, gives grace when needed. Fifth point, insight. The work of God calls us to depart from iniquity. However, God knows that we are but dust. The work of God calls us to depart from iniquity. However, God knows that we are but dust. Two passages that came to mind. This is what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. The Lord knows those who are his. You've named the name of Christ. Our constant way of life is to be moving on in our sanctification. We're to abstain from wickedness. However, notice what it goes on. It says, however, God knows that we are but dust. Let me read Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. This is a wonderful verse, series of verses. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. Did you notice? It's not those who are perfect, those who are sinless. It's just those who are fearing him. As far as the east is the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Just as... A father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He's mindful that we are but dust. God calls us to depart from iniquity because he knows that, but God knows that we're dust. Here's one of the paradoxes of ministry. One of the paradoxes of ministry is that God uses sinful people like you, like me. He uses sinful people. Did you know that? You know why he uses sinful people? It's all he's got to work with. (laughs) Now, there was one sinless person, but his ministry only lasted three years, and then they killed him. That was Jesus. God uses sinful people. Well, okay, well, what are we left with? Well, first of all, we shouldn't let our sinful nature hold us back from ministry. We shouldn't let our own sins, our shortcomings, hold us back from ministry. Nor should we not receive from people who we see their own shortcomings. Now, that's a hard one. 
Now, I've been going to pastor conferences for years with Calvary Chapel, and I've kind of hung around all those guys, not, not a personal friend of any of them, but I've hung around some of those guys you hear on the radio, you know, the big Calvary Chapel pastors, you know, they're on the radio. Do you know that every one of them has some real issues? <laughs> they are not perfect. They're not perfect. And so sometimes on the radio when I'm driving around, I remember years ago I'd be going down uh, surfing early morning. There's one particular pastor. I knew he had some struggles, and it was really hard for me to hear, but he was speaking the truth. Even because he was a sinner, he still was speaking the truth because God uses sinful people. And sometimes if you restrict receiving from people because you know of their faults or their foibles, you're going to miss what God wants to say to you. Now, sometimes we're left with thinking, well, how could God use somebody like that? You know why? Because God uses sinful people. Now, that doesn't mean, here's the problem many times with ministry, is some people think because God is using them that he approves of their foolishness, that he approves of their behavior. That is not necessarily true because oftentimes if you're not pressing forward with what Timothy says, remember what Timothy says? We're to abstain from wickedness. We're to be, keep working on that process, keep fighting that sinful nature. If you begin to assume that God approves your sinful nature, you know what you're doing? You're making an appointment with God. And in an appointment, he is going to humble you. <laughs> and he is going to humble you sometimes before everybody. God calls us to depart from iniquity because he knows what God does. Now, I have a list of flaws. You know, if you're a dog person, you're probably not going to like what I think about dogs, okay? I, I don't like dogs. I don't like dogs. I don't like standing in lines. I don't like, I don't, I just, I'm just, I can be a real twit when it comes with standing in lines or waiting. Uh, traffic jams are not my best thing. Uh, I'm very intolerant of people who don't cook the food the way I like it cooked. Uh, I'm not a very talkative person when I'm on my own. I'm just kind of quiet and introverted. And if you want a list of other things, just talk to my dear wife, Nancy. She'll supply you with many things that uh, she struggles with living with this uh, rather cranky old man. But you know, sometimes on a Sunday afternoon after lunch, sitting in my backyard in the sun, if the sun ever sometimes comes out, and you know what I think? I think, wow, God allowed me to encourage some of the people in my church this morning. You know why? Because God uses sinful people. He does. And he knows that we're but dust. Okay. The next uh, insight. The work of God is expressed in the error-free scriptures. However, God's thoughts are not ours. The work of God is expressed in error-free scriptures. However, God's thoughts are not ours. Let me read 2 Timothy. This is a very, very familiar scripture, but let's read it. It's a good passage. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, 
so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. The scriptures are inerrant and without error. They're inspired of God. But look at Romans 11. Love this passage. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who who became his counselor? Who was first given to him that it might be paid back again to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The work of God is expressed in error-free scriptures. However, God's thoughts are not ours. You know, there's some passages, and probably you've come across them. You look at them and you think, I don't understand that. <laughs> I don't understand that. I look at that passage and I think, well, if I, just, if I accept that passage just as it is, it seems to go against everything in other passages. I don't understand the passage. Now, I'm all for uh, doing as much work as we can in studying the scriptures, using the original languages, using the context, using the historical background, maybe using some commentaries, some, some help from older folks who study the scriptures. I'm all for that. But there are some passages that even as it says here, how unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable his ways. Ah, why did God do that? Now, there are some, however, who have determined that they are going to get the answer. And in their arrogance and pride, and their carnal thinking, they come up with an answer that oftentimes is very inventive, and receives a lot of praise from liberal intellectual circles, but completely invalidates what it says in 2 Timothy. And you know what they're left with? They're left with a Bible that gives no hope, no help to those who are looking for answers of how to live a life on this planet. My friends, my friends, listen to me. God's ways are oftentimes unsearchable and you'll see in the Bible things that you just don't understand. And you know what I've learned in the years that I've struggled with the Bible because I'm a skeptic par excellence. I've learned to say, God, I don't understand that. And it's okay. Because if I could understand God, then he'd be just like the rest of us and we'd all be lost. There's things about God we just don't understand. And I've learned to say, okay, it's okay, God. You'll show me. The work of God is expressed in the error-free scriptures. Finally, the work of God should reflect his perfection. The work of God should reflect his perfection. However, God is always more concerned about the means. Two passages that I picked out in 1 Peter 2.9. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellency of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to show forth his goodness in everything that we do in all of our programs, in everything that we do, in every ministry, we shouldn't be a bunch of uh, yahoos just doing whatever he wanted, doing sloppy work for Jesus. That's not what the Bible says. But look, 
what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we've received mercy. We do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Whatever we should do reflect, should reflect the character and the perfection of God. Uh, unpainted Sunday school rooms and smelly bathrooms and uh, ministries that don't help our children and encourage our children are not what we're about. We shouldn't, everything we should do should not look like a bunch of amateurs just kind of fumbling, bumbling through life. We're to show the excellencies. God is absolutely perfect and holy and righteous and good. And what we put forth should reflect that. That's what the scriptures say. However, don't forget that God is much concerned, more concerned about how we do it. How we do it. Sometimes many big ministries that seem really slick and really well done oftentimes behind the scenes lack integrity. Integrity. Now over the years that I've been here I've seen some ministries come and go. Made a big splash. Lots of noise. Good programs seemingly on the outside but suddenly they're gone. And you know what was the problem? They lacked integrity. They did ministry and looked good, but it wasn't good because God is much concerned about how you do ministry than what you do. May God grant us the grace and the power to do ministry well, but do it with integrity, both up front and behind the scenes. So, some things that we can learn. God isn't depending on you for his program. Oftentimes, God calls the foolish, like you, like me. The work of God is oftentimes different, different in the way we would do it. And thankfully, (laughs) we're very thankful for that. Work of God oftentimes brings pain and suffering. It does. It's just part of life. The work of God calls us to depart from iniquity. The work of sanctification goes on. The work of God is expressed in the error-free scriptures. Don't you ever let anybody tell you that the Bible is filled with errors. You buy, that, you buy that lie and that's right from the pit of hell. The work of God should reflect his perfection. Why are those so important? Because God's looking for people who are faithful. God is looking for people who are faithful. God gifts people for ministry. He does. Even foolish, sinful people like me like you. God 
can direct our thoughts. Just about the time we think that everything has fallen apart, God can just turn everything around if we'll listen to him and not lean on our own understandings. God gives grace when needed. God gives grace when needed. God knows that you and I are but dust. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. You think you know better? Some of those people, some of those liberals, they think they know better than God. The arrogancy, the arrogancy of that statement. That they can take God's word and say, it's wrong, I've got it figured out. Oh my heavens, I wouldn't want to be in that man's shoes when he stands before the, word, before the, the living word of God. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We think we can understand God? Man, that's a road you don't even want to go down. And God is always concerned about how we do ministry. We do it good, and we do it with integrity. May God grant us the grace to continue in these things that we've talked about this morning. Pray with me, please. Lord, we, walking with you these years, those who have been with me all this time, those who have joined, it's been an incredible pleasure to learn these things. Because oftentimes, Lord, we don't know where we're going or what we're doing. We... uh, Our hearts are in the right places, but oftentimes our thoughts are so far from you. We get discouraged uh, when things don't go our way. We have trouble when uh, our health begins to fail or when our children are prodigals or the job we had hoped would pan out doesn't pan out. when it seems like uh, everybody is turning away from you and leaning on their own understanding. When our society calls that which is good evil and that which is evil good, we can't seem to find anything. And yet, and yet, God, in all the years that all of us have walked, some of us in shorter time, some of us a long time, we've found that your word is true and your grace is always there and your voice is always ready to guide and lead when we yield to that grace. When I, we get our eyes off our own understanding, we look to you and we believe in the supernatural power of God to get us through the most difficult of circumstances And then we turn around and we say, to God be the glory, great things he has done. To God be the glory, in Jesus' name, amen.